Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Trish, one of those things has happened to me again that, you know, this, I've got a thing about keys that makes me very, very stressed. Whenever anyone gives me a key and yeah. says, well, just lock up or just do that, I know for sure, 100%, I will not be able to work that key. Uh, oh, so not losing the key. No, I never lose it. I can't work a key. And oh. God, how can that happen to me? God knows it happens to me so much. And this week, I managed oh. to do something quite spectacular with a key that I couldn't lock the door. Oh, what? oh my goodness. What? Stuck in I the door? I broke the key in the door. You broke it. You broke- it came off in my hat I just was standing holding the end bit that is <laughs> the other I bit mean, was I sticking out thought that was quite impossible to do but you, you well, managed I'm, it I'm not like the rock I mean I'm not really strong it's not mm. like I did it my super hulk like <laughs> anger with the key but this has happened to me before I've done it in a petrol cap as well the oh, key has oh snapped no off. what do you do you can't well you I can't get covered get in. in sweat for 10 yes. minutes fury Obviously. and sweat um and I had to leave and we've had to call a person to come and do you have things in your life that oh. you just can't do no because I'm very capable obviously <laughs> and if I can't I just delegate it to Neil because he's very practical he's well that's you that makes me very oh, no. cross I can't bear oh, to it? delegate it to a man or, I'm, or any to, other I'm gonna, human I'm gonna come clean here we stayed in an Airbnb last week during half term and I couldn't use the key <laughs> I had to get him to do it, but I didn't break it. I just couldn't open it. I'm going to go on a course. I'm going to train my brain so that I can, I'm going to test every single key and every single lock on a special course. People will be calling me to come and undo their doors for them. I'll have a cape. I'll be like a key superhero. you are super locksmith woman. Yes, let's do that. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Now, before we dive headfirst into this November episode of Postcards from Midlife, I have to tell you, Trish... I'm going to be signing you up for something and it's called No Lights, No Lycra. And it's based on what you confessed to doing in the steam room at the gym recently. Oh, my my little disco for one, my little solo disco in strange places after my swim, (laughs) just to explain to everyone. (laughs) Little dance in the steam room. Yes, Trish, I am talking about you dancing to your aqua aerobics tunes in the sauna last week, which then led to us discussing how difficult it seems to be to go dancing in midlife. I mean, other than second weddings <laughs> or the kitchen dance floor mm. after your friends have come over, there's, uh, there's not really anywhere to go, is there? Yes, well, you were telling me about a very good dance session you had at your friend's 60th birthday party in a tent were you throwing some shapes to Fat Boy Slim? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about, Trish, because I am only 25 and I have never been to a 60th birthday party. 
yes, that was me. And we've been lamenting this mm. and our wonderful listeners have come to our rescue on the dancing front. I love these midlife women in the support network. So I must say a big thank you to Karen from our Facebook group. She misses dancing as well. And she pointed us in the direction of No Lights, No Lycra, <laughs> which is a group where you dance until you drop. It's an exercise thing in the dark. Now it's set up in Australia, but I found one in South London. You can do it on Zoom as well. And they have these amazing playlists on Spotify where we would recognise every single song that's on the playlist. And there's no rules. You just turn up to the class in your loose fitting clothes and comfy shoes and you hit the dance floor. About that. So you just go along. I'm just going to go along and dance to age appropriate music in the dark. Yes, you do. You get it all out of your system. But Karen's post started a very brilliant thread on the Facebook group and brought me the joy that is Ruth the Raver. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. She's in her late 40s, and Ruth is still going to the Ministry of Sound on a Friday evening. <laughs> which I used to do I in the early too, 90s. in the early 90s. Yeah. She's still going, Ruth. Oh, um, she's got certainly got more stamina than me anyway. And she says that she goes to these club nights all over London and dances with all the young people in them. Oh, okay. I'm not sure about the young people. I think I'd need my tribe around me, but that is amazing. Um, I think we need to go and start getting it out of our systems. Don't well, we? we need to do it. Trish, let me tell you, we said there was nowhere to dance. Mm. There is. There's oh. Discos for Grown Ups, which is another fabulously named group. And there's also Haven't Stopped Dancing Yet. This was all on the Facebook thread, um, where they have club nights with podium dancers, midlife <laughs> podium dancers. Which I think I, I might love have, it. I might have put podium dancer on my CV once when <laughs> alongside backing singer. George Michael. Um, I'm going to sign you up for this, True, because if they've got one of those little ladders, we can get you up on that oh, podium. Get me up on the podium. Yes, I'll have to be wearing sensible shoes, otherwise I no, might you fall won't. off the ladder. <laughs> I've actually called Donatella Versace this morning oh. and she's going to design you a costume for Excellent. your podium. I'm thinking Excellent. of a gold lycra jumpsuit because you started wearing them, haven't you? I'm going to look so hot in that. Look, you see, look, this is where our wonderful women on our Facebook group take us mm. into all sorts of wonderful places. And they are giving me life, as the teens would say. Giving say you that, life. I'm giving me life, giving me life. Uh, and they're coming from all over the world. They're flocking in from across the globe with their words of wisdom. Um, we've had women recently from Pennsylvania, Christchurch, New Zealand, Zambia, one of my favourites, Minnesota, Singapore. Washington and Johannesburg have all joined up and uh, just this week Shirley from Ireland says she's just joined I'm a divorced mother of two adult girls working full-time been listening to your podcast for ages I just love it shared it to my sister's friends and even the oh. Irish Minister for Agriculture now <laughs> now how many other podcasts can say that that claim to fame you well, know me with my Irish roots I'm very excited about that one <laughs> I'm not taking the Irish Minister for Agriculture to the podium dancing. <laughs> if we keep talking about dancing, Trish, do you think my midlife dream will come true and I will appear on Strictly Come Dancing? I think I can do it because I've also been sent a new book this week. This is the universe manifesting, or whatever you call it for yes. me. This book arrived yesterday. Dancing is the best medicine, the science of how moving to the beat is good for your body, brain and soul. And it's actually been written by two neuroscience experts. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting that, but a whole book, I think, don't we just know that? <laughs> we know it's good for us. But on the Strictly front, can I just firstly ask who would be your ideal partner? 
it, Johannes would be my ideal oh, partner. I, he's just fabulous. the best dancer of the lot. It's, you know, I just yes. wanted to stand near him and then I would by osmosis, I would absorb my hips yes. will be able to move because that's the problem with me and, and dancing and my hips it's are really stiff, stiff hips, and I can't do it. stiff so, hips. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, he I would think be even, my partner. You're going to have to manage your expectations there a bit, Lorraine, because I have seen you dance and I might be worried for everyone's safety. Flailing. I'm just saying flailing, flailing. <laughs> You're probably better at podcasting, I think. Uh, so should we get on with the show and leave yes. the experts to competitive dance routines? <laughs> Who have we got on the show today, Trish? Well, today, coming into the guest suite on Postcards from Midlife, we will be welcoming Martine Wright, MBE. She's a skydiving, plane flying, Paralympian, no less. And I don't think you'll meet anyone with a more positive can-do mindset than Martine. She lost both her legs in the 7-7 terrorist bombing on the tube in London in 2005 and today we're going to be talking to her about her midlife journey on the eve of her 50th birthday. Okay let's get dancing then, I mean podcasting. (laughs) Now we're recording this episode bright and early on a Monday morning which is off schedule for us because we normally record later in the week so uh, this change is probably a bit challenging for you Trish because you do like a routine don't you? You like it all to be just so exactly so as it was last week (laughs) (laughs) well I am a bit of a creature of habit and of course I've I've had to make a few adjustments I've done some deep breathing but it's okay I think I can cope but given that we're fresh out of the weekend we thought we would jibber jabber about weekends and share some of the shenanigans we get up to as well as how we rest resting because that's important and actually Pamela posted a link on the Facebook group to a TED Ideas page called the seven types of rest everyone needs did you know there were seven well, I, I all the rest all the time all the I rest like, all the time seven thousand types of rest I'm going to list the them for you <laughs> and we're going to yeah. see how many we think we've done over the weekend right physical rest which can be obviously a little nap or it can be something restorative like yoga that kind of thing I don't uh, like mental... napping I'm against it okay well I'm I'm pro we'll talk okay. about napping right. in a minute mental rest which means taking short breaks from tasks so if you're doing it when you're working that kind of thing sensory rest giving yourself a rest from looking at me on your zoom screen all the time <laughs> on your WhatsApp, WhatsApping me all the time, being on your Instagram. Creative rest, which is actually proactive because you're doing something creative. So just taking your brain into a different space from what you would normally do stimulates the mind. Emotional rest, getting, you know, no contact with the draining, annoying people. (laughs) Or doing doing that thing, you know, when you're have, you know, someone says, how are you? You go, yeah, I'm fine. And you're really not fine you know being peppy when you don't work you know it's just being your authentic how you are so that's that emotional rest and then spiritual which is when you engage in something that is greater than yourself so some maybe some meditation doing some community or prayer if you're into that so so that's the rest that we should be having are you feeling relaxed refreshed revitalized after your weekend Lorraine um well you know that's the aim isn't it with a weekend to feel relaxed and refreshed and revitalized but um I have had to go and see the Adams family too with Mabel because I've still got a 10 year old oh dear was that uh, relaxing no normally I like to get a little bit of a sleep during a cinema (laughs) session with Mabel but because she was on her own not with a friend um 
she kept me awake for the whole of it. Oh, oh what <laughs> uh, Let me you. tell you, it's not a brilliant film. It's not brilliant. It's oh, not very funny. Okay. Oh dear. <laughs> but she okay. liked it. Don't she go. She liked it. Yes. And then um, we have had our eldest back from university mm. who brings with her her giant mugs of tea. I mean, and when I say giant mugs, she brings her giant mugs. So all mm. around the house are these giant mugs of tea. She likes to have a great big cup of tea, about eight oh. litres of water. And then while she's drinking it, she'll say, you put the kettle on. Oh, let's have another one immediately. She literally this. is chain chain tea drinking. Chain tea, chain, yes. chain teaing rather than chain smoking. Right. I have okay. done a bit of exercise. I did good a bit of exercise. I have been out and about with that um mm. annoying dog as well. So I suppose I've done a couple of the rest, but um I haven't done anything spiritual. Trish, no, I think that's what's missing. A bit of spiritual, maybe. We need I, that. I tell you what I did see at the weekend, though, which mm. was uh, someone else's weekend. I don't know if you are following Ulrika Johnson on mm. uh, Instagram. She's well, about to be on a new dating show. having a rest show. from that, yes. But, yes, she's going to be on she, a what? A dating show? A new dating show. <gasps> she <gasps> went out, talking yeah. of dancing, she went out on Saturday night with her late teenage or early 20s daughter and posted on Sunday morning, her Sunday morning, she had a bruise on her bottom. Oh! <laughs> Scratches up her arm and two men she'd never met before sleeping in her front room. <gasps> oh, my goodness. She had had, a, she said, not bad for a 54-year-old. Oh, she I love said it. She was a bit drunk in charge of a dance floor. Yes. Asked to leave, went home. <laughs> she thinks the men are related to her daughter, they're friends of her daughter. But, oh, goodness. Um, she said that was a brilliant weekend and she didn't mind oh. waking up on Sunday with a gigantic hangover. Wow. I mean, I know who everyone in my house was on Sunday morning, so I obviously didn't have anyone yes. near as much fun. No, no, exactly. But <laughs> What's I think your I'm, strategy well, of a weekend? Well, my, I think we'll start with the drinking strategy, as we've been talking about Ulrika's drinking, because our, my plan is to never wake up with a hangover on a Saturday because I just like to just get into Saturday and not be feeling crap going into the weekend. And actually this this Friday night, we had uh, we were invited to some lovely friends for dinner and I was the de- I offered to be designated diver. So I was very pleased with myself. So I did have a lovely evening. But I think it's a sort of hangover, literally a hangover from the 20 something days, because I don't know about you. We always used to go out when I, I was working on War magazine, probably at the time. And we used to go out on a Thursday night and get really, really quite badly drunk and um so then because it then didn't matter because you'd still you know tip into work on a friday it wasn't a waste of a day because you were working at your employers who were paying you to do some work on that day yes well we did do some work obviously but just slightly hungover work and i just don't like that for the weekend i don't want to be wasting my weekend because it's it's so precious friday night then you might just go out for one drink and then home in time for friends and the word because you watched live telly then didn't you? Well, you yes. Did. You went home, came home to watch yeah. specifically to watch those things. Well, we used to do Thursday night. I was on newspapers at the time. Mm. Um, and then we would sometimes go to work from the place where we had been. Oh. <laughs> See, that's even worse for your employers than my employers. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. And I, well, I look back and I think I didn't feel as shocking as I would feel if I did that now, oh, well, I mean, I'd have do. to be hospitalised by that yes, lunchtime yeah, if I did happen, that now. It? There's just yes. no way. I'd be also be, you know, worried about the amount of water I drank and doing all the mm. maths in my head. Whereas in those days, you just kind of did it. You went yes. to, we would go to Soho, and then we'd go to Heaven Nightclub, and then we'd go to somewhere else. And then we would, it would be six or seven o'clock in the morning, and we'd think, <gasps> wow. well, we might as well. I'm so impressed. Going back Start work forward. early. Start work early. Yes, and then early. I'd say, I'd say, I have to leave now because I was in early this morning. <laughs> But that was a very, very long time ago, because what we then moved on to 
um, mm. is the the mummy phase, the parenting phase, where we would be up extraordinarily early on mm. a Saturday morning in cars, driving around, play dates, hockey, football, oh, God. Yes. all of that malarkey and the pouring rain. Really not um, not massively enjoyable, I would say. <laughs> How were your weekends? Well, with I, the I have to say I'm starting to hyperventilate just thinking about it. And, and I am going to make a confession now. I feel there's enough time as part of the twins will understand. I used to dread weekends, honest to God. It's I hard, really, yeah. honestly, when the twins were really small, the days just felt so long, having to keep them entertained, deal with the squabbles and tantrums and the feeding and the clearing up toys you know, thrown everywhere before you could relax. Probably about eight o'clock by the time you'd done bath and bedtime, you'd probably been up since about five, you know, because then when yeah. you put them down for a nap, you'd be then doing chores and things. Washing. Oh my goodness. It was, I just remember my legs used to throb. <laughs> it's just like, because you just never sat down all day long. It was really difficult. And and I have to say, I used to quite look forward <laughs> to Monday mornings then. But of course, now that I can have a lion on a Saturday, I can't have a lion on a Saturday because because I'm old and uh, older and that's your superpower isn't it getting up early as you can I've always been quite good at the getting up early yeah Yeah, but I do you know you do have to administer some kind of electric um shock at me at about four o'clock in the afternoon um when that happens yeah I do I think now for me a perfect weekend is getting up early I get Mm. up really early on a Saturday and I go swimming with some friends of mine Mm -hmm. so we either go to the Lido or the lake as you know um and then we're back by 10-ish before anyone else has even yes looked out from under the duvet in our house quite frankly yeah Yeah. Neil and I often get in like a six mile dog walk before the teenagers have 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 got up and and you do see like these men with like a a pram and a toddler and they look absolutely done in and I kind of think well at least the mum's getting a bit of a rest if you're taking them out for a little 7am round Wimbledon Common or whatever it is but yeah so my nice weekend also involves food and specifically cake there has to be some baking every time I whatsapp you you are about to do some culinary type cake eating chocolate drinking this weekend I made apple and double ginger cake do you like the sound of that no so it's (laughs) I liked caramel week on Bake Off this week because oh, it was see, just okay. sugar with some more sugar and yeah, some sugar. Yeah, was slightly more, I'd say quite wintry, heat-invigorating apples. How long does it take nice. to make a cake like that? Oh, about an hour. sounds epic. No, about an hour. Yeah, but it's quite relaxing. I find that quite relaxing, doing a bit of, oh, bit of baking. Very stressful. It's up it's there very with nice. keys for me, baking. It's very nice, yes. But I quite like that, you see, on a Saturday and then the kids come in. We like to be around because I quite like being there if the kids come in and out and if they come with friends and, and all of that kind of thing. But Sunday often ends up as jobs day, gardening. As much as I try, I'm not going to you... be one of those people who finds it relaxing. <laughs> it's a chore. Can you tell... Um our listeners about what Neil got out of a skip what I'm oh. doing <laughs> yes yeah, so Neil jobs day for Neil he's very pleased with himself um a couple of weeks ago he found in a bin it, it was in a sort of an engineering place that he does some stuff in an old boiler suit which he oh, now wears Neil. for his job leaf noisy jobs leaf blowing jet washing the what patio is it? it's like that dark navy blue very winston i think he thinks he's channeling winston churchill because as you know he only reads books about the second world war and he's delighted with this uh boiler suit that was cast aside thrown away 
Do you think cast aside, because in my head I've written a story about the boiler suit that there was an awful gangland killing and they had to throw the boiler suit away so no one would have the evidence and he's probably walking around in this DNA of a massive drug deal gone wrong. He could be arrested at any moment and that DNA could send him down for years to come. Look where we're going with this. It's very strange. (laughs) Shall we get back to Sundays? What about Sunday lunch? What happens at Sunday lunch with you? Do you do massive cooking there as well? We do Sunday evening and that can be a roast or just family dinner I do like the Sunday roast but I just think it uses up the whole day again you know that's a whole day gone and can't drink on a Sunday so if we're with people and you want Sunday lunch and they want to drink I'm like oh I can't because then that's the rest of my day you know obviously if I was invited to a Sunday lunch I would go but do you I've seen you drink on a Sunday Trish don't Ah, don't come on holier than thou she's making it up she's making it up what about you Sunday lunch we do Sunday taco night Oh, so okay. we just put it all everything from the I say it's I say taco night and it's loosely Mexican themed, yes, but it's really okay. everything that's left in the fridge. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just put it on the table and we make a bit more, and then I say to them, just put all that stuff in a wrap. And that seems to go down quite well. Okay. And then we do a bit of catch up watching. What were your childhood Sundays like? I'm intrigued oh, by them. Well, this you must is have the thing. done mass. Oh, this might, I think business. this is maybe why the Sunday roast isn't a thing for me. But obviously, you know I don't like meat, but we were Irish Catholic family, so it was very much about mass. Mass and you weren't allowed to eat an hour before going to mass because you can't eat an hour before taking Holy Communion. So that was quite a big deal about getting breakfast on and then the, the mass and the Holy Communion. And then it was, you know, back home for a, a roast at about three. And it was always my poor mum, you know, poor mum, rest in peace. Terrible, you know, roast that lamb, overdone. That whole generation. <laughs> You know, and really just not food that I would have ever liked. And then, you know, my sister and I having to do the washing up of the the fatty lamb pan. I have moments. So I think there is some residual resistance to roast Sunday lunches coming from my childhood. What about you? Well, I have a sad Sunday feeling. I know everyone has a bit of a sad Sunday feeling, but my dad worked when we grew up in Cornwall, so obviously, but my dad worked away, as I've talked about Mm. him when he worked at Green and Common. Yeah. He was a policeman. So he would often be getting ready to go on a Sunday Mm. night. He was my favourite parent for a bit. So... In the teenage years. <laughs> yes. There's always so I would, my dad would be disappearing, which would be, I'd have this terrible, sad feeling from about yeah. 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning that um, he oh, was going to be off. But my mum didn't like cooking either. That was a, yeah. was an awful thing for her, the old cooking. So the, my Sundays were sort of bad food and um, dad and disappearing, dread. really. Bad food um, and dread, yeah. Well, I think now I only get the Sunday feeling sort of late afternoon, early evening, when you're like, oh, God, okay, week ahead, how are we going to... So I do think that the 10 people are very smart putting very easy gentle dramas on aren't they on a Sunday night I was thinking about Heartbeat do you remember Heartbeat because it's Nick Berry didn't you have a poster of him did I have oh I did oh you talked about Nick Berry yes yes I like Nick Berry he's in gentle TV he's in the Keanu Reeves food tribe for me yes okay my whole I like that area quite Um, dark swarthy men you like Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's guest is Martine Wright, MBE, a Paralympian, a motivational speaker, and author of the best-selling book, Unbroken, in which she writes about the events of 7th of July, 2005, when, at the age of 33, she lost both her legs in a terrorist bombing on the London Underground. In the aftermath of the tragedy, she says she knew almost immediately that she'd cope, and not only did she cope, she excelled, qualifying as a pilot, captaining the Team GB sitting volleyball team at the London Paralympics, winning the 2012 Helen Rollison Award at Sports Personality of the Year. And in 2016, she was made an MBE for her services to sport and work as a role model for amputee athletes. Few CVs are more impressive than that. It's what you do with what happens to you that makes the difference, she says. And it's this attitude combined with her ability to move onwards and upwards with her life that is nothing short of phenomenal. Now, aged 49, Martine lives in Hertfordshire with her husband, Nick, and 12-year-old son, Oscar. And she's here today to tell us how midlife is going for her and what she's planning for her next act. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Martine. Thank you for inviting me. Now, midlife, we're here in midlife, and it's often a time when we look back at what we've achieved so far, and we kind of take stock, we think about turning points that have got us this far in life. It's kind of a period of reflection, but turning points don't come much bigger than what happened to you on the 7th of July, 2005. Can you take us back to that time and just tell us where your life was at then and what happened? So 2005, I was 33. I was your typical girl about town, I suppose. I was an international marketing manager. I worked for a big company in St. Catherine's Dock. And that morning was a special morning because that morning I'd been out the night before with work colleagues to celebrate. And that was the day that we all found out that London had won the Olympic and Paralympic bid. Hence why that night I went out and had a few jars with my colleagues So that was the whole reason why I was late that morning on the 7th of July was I'd been out and had a few jars. An average morning, you know, felt slightly jaded because because I... You overslept, didn't you? Yeah. My alarm went off and I pressed the snooze button. After that was a normal morning. So running up the escalator, I remember getting to Moorgate and thinking, well, what a result. The tube is there. And um, as a result, I just jumped onto it. Not usually the carriage that I would usually get in, but one of the first ones because it was there. And that was the time where I had enough time to read my paper that morning. And I sat in my favourite seat and I started reading my paper. And obviously that morning you couldn't read the paper without reading something on the Olympics and Paralympics. And I distinctly remember thinking before we went into that tunnel and, you know, seconds later the explosion happened, I remember thinking, I'm a Londoner, I've got to get tickets to this. And obviously I didn't get tickets. And it was seven years later, which is now my lucky number, I did get tickets, I I took part. For me, that tells me that I was always meant to make that journey. But it obviously wasn't an easy journey. I apparently lost 80% of my blood and I lost both my legs. I could have lost my left arm, but I had amazing, amazing medical staff, NHS professionals, you know, supporting me. My family didn't know where I was for for two days and they were searching London. I still can't comprehend that. In the beginning, it was 
because she's fine. She's going to be helping someone. And every time went on and my employer said, do we want extra sort of try and private detective and all this? And then finally, my family found me at the Royal London Hospital, but they were surrounded by other many, many families, as you can imagine, that were either waiting for the really sad news that they'd lost someone or they were trying to identify these three unidentified people because you don't realise, but your body completely changes through the swelling. Your body is is a remarkable thing, like we all know. And So you weren't recognisable to to anyone as a... Police and medical staff at Royal London Hospital, again, absolutely brilliant. They said they knew it was me because my family gave them a distinctive mole and it's it's on my arm. The hospital knew it was me, the police knew it was me, but obviously my family had to identify me. And my brother and sister went into that room and they said, is, it, is that your sister? And they said, no, no, it's not. Apparently because my face was like three. Yeah. Oh. And then obviously the police knew it was me. So then they said, is there anyone else? And they asked my mum in. She saw me apparently and she went, that is Martine. I recognise her by her eyebrows. Oh. <laughs> Only a mother. <laughs> they found you and you began your recovery. I would urge anyone to read your book or listen to your story. You've talked on other podcasts and on TV. It's the most extraordinary story of positivity. You seem to have just an absolute spirit that is indomitable. Nothing can can break it. Now, did you know at the time that you were that person? And now you're on the eve of turning 50. You must look back and think of all the things that you've learned about yourself since the moment you decided to make this amazing life that you've made i think i've learned stuff about myself but I've, I've really learned stuff about other people as well as human beings as women we do go through that middle bit which is slightly hard sometimes and we're forced to look at who we are and what we're about and what we want out of life i suppose i see that as that was came a few years earlier at 33 rather at 48 or something like that and obviously got me to reassess my life. You know, things happen in life and we sometimes don't have any control over certain things in life. But I really, truly believe, as I said, that I was always meant to make this journey and human beings are amazing and we can cope. We have to have certain things there. And for me, you know, I've already mentioned my family and brilliant NHS professionals. I would not be here if it wasn't for the selfless acts that morning, you know, the bombings was a day of completely opposites. You know, you had someone getting on buses and tubes and setting off these bombs. And then people like my guardian angel, Liz, Liz Kenworthy, yeah. who knew what happened, but forced her way through and literally gave me two tourniquets, belts to put around my legs to stop the bleeding. It's just examples of that, I think, as human nature. And things do sometimes happen in life and it's good and it's But were you a positive person before? Were you someone who would, you know, who always saw the glass as half full anyway? People have told me, and I do realise that I am a glass half full person. I've always been that person. I do joke except down the pub, obviously. (laughs) There's definitely one advantage being in a wheelchair. Right, and having slightly shorter legs or prosthetic legs. <laughs> you don't have to go up to the bar a lot. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, 
Excellent. Don't go. It's your round, Martin. Do you want some help? Oh, yes, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Looking on the bright side. <laughs> but you were dating your husband to be Nick at this point. You must have had such a strong relationship because you were about to embark on this years, I would have thought, of recovery and changing your life. And what a love story, really, that you stayed together and got through this together. We're complete opposites. You know, I'm very analytical-minded, business-minded, very sporty. He is a photographer. He would like to, you know, live in a field with a few sheep in Wales and just take photos of nature and have that life. So, no, he's an amazing man. And and what was amazing, again, how life works sometimes, uh, we actually split up five months before it happened. And then a few months after, I realised I'd made a mistake and we got back together again. And then three months later, he was facing this. I woke up out of an eight-day coma And I introduced Nick, he was my boyfriend, obviously, but I introduced Nick to the nurse as my (laughs) fiancé. So I said, this is my fiancé, Nick. Now, at the time, obviously, I was on the amount of morphine Mm. was obviously affecting my mind. Wishful thinking. Imagine a Nick being Nick was in a huge panic, turning around to my mum and dad when I'd just come out of the and going, oh, my God, she thinks we're engaged. She'll go and get, she'll go and get a ring. She'll go and get a ring. <laughs> Obviously, huge mix of my emotion. Oh. His girlfriend with no legs and, oh, my God. And um, my mum and dad sort of saying, no, don't worry, Nick. I think it's the drugs. I think it's the drugs. She doesn't think that. And I was absolutely convinced that I was... Oh. Age to him. When was the proposal then? The proposal was about two years after. It happened in 2005. We got married in 2008. And it was about a year before. And we were in Spain on holiday with friends. He took me on a drive. And I thought it was going to be a normal drive where I sat in the car. And he took photos. <laughs> Boring, yeah. <laughs> it was like midday. In, in the Andalusian hills. And he was like, come on, you know, I want to go and take some photos. And I was like, really? And then we went up there and he said, look, do you want to get get out the car? And I went, no, not really, because it's really hot. I said, you just take your photos. He went, no, just get out the car. Mm-hmm. And then um, got out the car and uh, he got down on one knee. Oh, so, uh, it's just the most extraordinary sort of love story as well, isn't it? I think he's been there as part of Team Martine. One of the things that struck us when we talked to all the women we interview about this is that as you get older in life, you start to take on more and more and more and you forget how to say no to things and yeah. you forget how to ask for help. But you've had to ask for help. What advice have you got for women listening around that? How do you ask for help, especially in really difficult circumstances? In the beginning, it was easier to ask for help. It's a balance, especially yeah. depends who you're talking to. I remember very early on in hospital when I recently came out of my coma, different things like my brother who's seven years older than me, Grant, he, he came to me, he was really crying. And, and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I thought of something, I feel really guilty. And I said, what, what, what have you thought? And he said, I just think out of three of us, three siblings, I think you're the only one strong enough to deal with this. So that support, that belief in someone, that gives you that resilience. It's like, gosh, if you think that about me, I can do this. And, and again, I remember waking up every morning and my brilliant surgeon, Hasu Patel, can't believe she sadly dies um, recently. 
she was there every morning. She was this top, top plastic surgeon that, that literally didn't go home apparently for four months after after the bombings. When I came out that coma, she, she she said, Martine, your family are amazing. You know, I've never met a family that are so supportive. And she said, and I've never met a patient who's come out of a coma smiling. Oh, wow. And she said, that's you. So many people, my physio, Maggie, who taught me to walk. I spent 366 days in hospital. And she taught me to walk. She got married recently. She's taught people to walk for about 30 years now with prosthetics. And she's married a man called Mr. Walker. <laughs> At my wedding, she said, I want to buy you something. I want a present list. I mean, you're having a laugh. You don't buy me anything. I said, you gave me the best gift in the world. Mm. And that was to walk. But it wasn't obviously just to walk. I used to see her some mornings, want to go, that's it. I don't want to carry on. And that's psychological support. But we had a real connection. You know, there were mornings where I couldn't stare at myself in the mirror. It was too daunting. Who was this person? Who was this alien that I was looking at? This body image that I had no idea who that was. And then having to go off and do four or five hours of walking, mm. being constantly surrounded and reminded about, about what happened. And so I got a lot of my strength from people. These people are the people who are part of Team yeah. Martine and everyone could have that team around them. So I guess for, for women listening, it's identifying that team and, and giving back as much as you get, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think sometimes it is hard to ask for help because... Practically, I think that we just balance everything on a daily basis. Yeah. And once you give someone else that control, you yeah. think it's going to be more hard to control your bit because they're controlling another bit. <laughs> but sometimes you have to just do that. And I found that, that with training for volleyball, mm -hmm. I mean, that was a huge emotional roller coaster. Obviously, to be able to find sport at a time yeah. when I'm seen as less able, I think that's the irony, is that I had a disability and I found this sport, which sport left my life at school, at university, and it was so important to me. But being able to sort of find that and find that replacement, because I, I miss work so much as well. But it's not easy. Before the Paralympics, I was training 45 hours a week, you know, sometimes away for five days at a time. There was no choice but to ask for help. So Teams is one of your coping strategies for sure. And you talk about that in The Power of Seven, which is this uh, amazing kind of approach that you have to life and, and dealing with things. So can you tell us a couple of the other things on the yes. list that are really important for you? The Power of Seven is coping strategies or a mindset that I come up with. This is my Power of Seven. So I believe we all have a power or something you might say why seven and i'll say lorraine trish is my lucky number and you mm -hmm. might go why would seven be ever be your lucky number when you got blown up on seven seven but it's that belief that belief that good can come out of bad. so you've got things like choices you, you know something happens in life we all have choices mine that day was about whether i was going to carry on or not how i was going to deal with it i thought the most important question for me when i came out of that coma was what was i going to do now what was my life so it's taking that control i suppose and realizing that you are in control and you have that choice and i realized 
that I had many choices, many choices that many people that day didn't have because they sadly died. So that really, really spurred me on. So we have choices. Then we have opportunities. Again, I knew I had to go off and create new memories. That was all about creating new memories. Say, look, I might not be able to do 100 metres as fast as you now, but you know what I can do? I can fly a plane. I've got an MBE. All those th- You learned to fly a plane meetings. and skydiving. You did yes. that as well. That was not popular with my mum and dad. It's about mindset, isn't it? A lot of this. It is. And it's about individually seeing what makes you tick. People say to me, how did you get through those dark days, first of all? A big thing for me, which I didn't used to like saying, and I, I felt quite guilty, was comparing how lucky I was that day. And always remembering those 52 people that died. And because I've had the honour of meeting their families as well, and I might not have known them before the 7th of July, but they're real people to me. And every one of those people gave me strength every day and really gave me that strength in the beginning because I just thought I was four foot away from him. I so shouldn't have been here. And I was, and I am. I feel like I have a duty to carry on with my life. And I believe it is a mindset. And I believe all of us have different things that make us tick again all of us have dealt with covid the last two years the strain the extra way that we've all had to cope and people look at covid as a negative thing of course it's a negative thing it's a pandemic it's taken over our lives it's, we've lost so many many people through it but i think we forget something that i believe it has brought us closer together I'm a bit of a glass half empty person right. putting it out there because I think everyone knows that. Because it's hard sometimes to see the positivity, I think, in things. Of course it is. It is. It is hard. I think sometimes you have to train your brain to do that. You might want to look at my power of seven as, as a recipe for resilience. I truly believe that we all have something that makes us feel good, mm-hmm. that makes us feel better. I think what the last two years has told us as well, number one, is all about choices. You know, we didn't choose to deal with this pandemic, but we choose how to respond to it. And that's what life is about. And it doesn't have to all be done in one day. We've all been feeling up and down, but the power there is all of us have been feeling like that to a different degree. All of us have learned more about each other. We're finally accepting that it's quite normal to feel up up and down. And you have to go through those ups and downs, those good days, those bad days, to build up this strength, to build up the knowledge. And even though we've been forced apart, I believe in the long term, it's really brought us together. So mental strength, obviously, as you say, that comes from that knowledge of dealing with the ups and downs and understanding there will be ups and downs. And you have this incredible mental strength. Let's talk about physical strength, because can I just say, sitting volleyball looks absolutely... How do you keep yourself fit? How do you look after yourself physically? What have been the challenges of doing sitting volleyball? Obviously, one thing that's quite unique about it is you don't play in a wheelchair. So, so people don't realise sometimes that we, we actually move constantly around on the floor on our bums. Mm. And I, I do make a joke sometimes to say it was actually first called Bumble. <laughs> I have a brilliant neighbour who is a personal trainer who comes to my house twice a week. Okay, we chat for half of it. <laughs> and now, thankfully, we're back 
playing volleyball. So I have training this year, this weekend with the girls. And that's really liberating to be able to get on court again with them. Yeah. Because again, psychologically, it's all affected us. Again, COVID in the last two years. But volleyball is definitely a sport that you can't play, I don't think, on your own. So could you do ball games before? I did loads of ball games at school. I did hockey, yeah. I did netball, I did tennis. Volleyball is a completely different game yes. altogether. Because... I'd never touched a volleyball in my life before I started playing sitting volleyball. The thing about catching a ball or hitting a ball is that you try and get hit that ball as fast as you can or as quick as you can. With volleyball, you don't. My God, it has got me fit, you know. Yeah. There were times when I first played where I couldn't move my arms past this point the next day because they were just absolutely killing me. But... The most important, obviously, that, that sport has given me is, is the psychological side. And I found sitting volleyball at a time when I was questioning, who was I? What was I? What was I going to do? That's but, but, something that one does in midlife as well. It, it, because often women lose their jobs, they walk out of marriages. It's identity, isn't it? Totally changes. What has your perimenopause, menopause, midlife journey been like as a woman who's already completely changed her identity once and become a whole new person? I suppose things started going a little bit up and down probably about four four years ago now. It was that (laughs) Christmas that I cooked for about 16 people. And it was that Christmas that I said goodbye to everyone at the front door with my husband. And it was that Christmas that I shut the front door and just started throwing things. Oh, <laughs> oh the rage came. The rage, the rage came. Came. You've got the midlife rage. And Nick sort of said, you're okay. Obviously, you're not. <laughs> um, I just had a meltdown. And then it was at that point, yeah, that I thought, right, something's not right. And Did you and have any I idea had... it was to do with menopause? All I knew is that I'd been a very half-glass pool person. Mm. And then suddenly I couldn't cope. So I couldn't look at my husband. Didn't even have to open his mouth and, yeah. and be... Just to be annoying. I think my doctor's great. I think she's brilliant. I went to her and I said, I'm not feeling great. I feel like I need some blood tests or something. It might be my hormones. And obviously immediately she said, we can't, we, we can't test you. I tell you what, what about these? Oh, right, well, they're antidepressants, right. I've been through this. Eggs, <laughs> 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 And I didn't need antidepressants. Why do I need antidepressants now? So I didn't, and I, I left, and I was obviously quite distraught and thinking, is that it? And then I started to read a bit online, and then I came across this lovely, lovely woman called Suzanne Saidman, and she is my consultant. And uh, she's she's actually a GP. Anyone that's been to go and see a specialist, I'm lucky enough to go and see actually a specialist. The first thing they do, well, the first thing that Suzanne did was she went, right, I don't want you to talk to me, I just want you to answer these questions. And it was just effects. Do you have night sweats, itchiness, this? There must have been about 40 different things. Yeah. I'm quite analytical like that. So it was like, brilliant. Well, we're snorting off in the right in the right area. Because sometimes it is that, well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Because I felt right this day. You're used to answering <laughs> medical questions, aren't you? You've got that, you've been through so much hospital and doctor experience I'm guessing for you this was finding a solution wasn't it yeah and I think sometimes with the menopause and and, and when you're perimenopausal you sometimes don't feel yourself so you're not necessarily psychologically in the best place to explain that to people as well she's absolutely brilliant and I've got a very small patch on my bottom um (laughs) um, volleyball bottom 
Yes, my folly ball blossom, which is amazing. I think it's quite hard to explain because I think it just levels you out. It doesn't do massive things. It's very gradual. Now, I mean, even sort of, you know, menopause aside, and that's, that is a biggie, you know, midlife is a time of feeling overwhelmed. Your mum's living near you and the deal was that you're going to be looking after her because she looked after you. So you've got the kind of elderly parents, you've got a nearly teenage son. Is it overwhelming? Do you find it overwhelming? We, we, we find things overwhelming. And how do you deal with that? We all get overwhelmed with stuff. I think for me, on those days, I just need to, number one, stop giving myself a hard time. We are not robots. We are humans. I know that we think we're robots and we're that efficient like a robot. (laughs) So it's about not giving yourself a hard time. It's okay to feel like that. There has to be days where you feel like that because otherwise you can't compare it. And so you either tackle that day and you say, I'm going to do this. So for instance, for me, I'll go for a dog walk. Or a dog roll, what I call it. <laughs> Something like that. Or even just go and see a mate for a coffee and talk about it. What's it like having a teenage boy in the house now? He's not quite a teenager at the moment. How is Oscar? He's 12. So he's at that stage at the moment where he's still loving his cuddles, but his arm gets slightly smelly. <laughs> <laughs> teenage boys are quite something, yes. Yeah, and when do they suddenly take this deep intake of breath? They're like that. Oh, mom! Don't come in. You know, so he starts doing that. that old, oh, mom! But he's an amazing little boy. He, he obviously will always be my little boy. He's like a little mini educator, my son. I remember when he was two, when I used to tickle him and tickle his feet, and he'd go, "Mummy, can I tickle your feet?" You know, I have got feet, so I've got prosthetic legs, and if I didn't have them on my legs, they'd be they, they're here next to me, and I I have to charge them up. So he used to come in the other room and come up to my prosthetic and and tickle my feet. But he is like a mini educator, so he he loves talking about me. (laughs) Loves talking Mm -hmm. about me. Just come back from a holiday. He had a lovely holiday with family. And so he met this gentleman who had three three sons and he's always looking for a friend on holiday. I met this gentleman about an hour later and he said, I've just been talking to Oscar, your son, and what a lovely young gentleman. It was like and he said, he's just so proud of you. The first thing he said was my mum's disabled, but she's a Paralympian. Oh, and he amazing. has a connection between being disabled and being able to achieve things. I just think that's amazing. And, and all his friends have that as well. One of my very vivid memories over the last 16 years, say, is, is obviously going to the palace and taking my mum and dad and Nick mm-hmm. and Oscar to the palace. And my son, who was only seven at the time, that was in 2016, all he kept saying to me that day was, Mummy, I love you so much and I'm so proud of you. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it was so amazing. You're about to turn 50 next year. How is that feeling for you and how are you going to be celebrating? I feel okay about it, really. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm quite looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it because I'm relating being 50 with having maybe one of the most busiest years of my life. I'm planning on lots of holidays. I'm definitely one of those people that in order to relax, I need to get out of the house. I need to go away. Change scene. Preferably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know whether I'm going to plan to have a huge party. I know that next year is going to be about seeing friends and family. And that is obviously Mm -hmm. as a result of the last two years. But um, I think what I'm going to do is have lots of micro parties. But really, for us as a team, I've got to knuckle down next year 
Mm-hmm. Because obviously we've got Paris 2024 on the corner. And what we've got to do is we've got to jump six places in the world. Uh, we're about 12 at the moment and we think that we can get to six. So that's going to obviously have to balance with the plans. All the I- fun, the fun yeah, yeah. that you're going to be having. Well, I think we're in sort of talks at the moment to either climb up a big mountain or to do something with lots of snow. I'm exhausted thinking about it. You're going to train the Paralympic team and you're going to climb up a mountain. And have 25 parties and holidays. (laughs) You're amazing. You're just amazing. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to keep following your progress because I think it's the most motivational thing. (laughs) We'll be able to make it through our late 50s if we keep following you in your early 50s. (laughs) Thank you so much, Martine, for filling us with positivity and completely kind of motivating us. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. It's nostalgia noodle time. We did get a little bit nostalgic in our jibber-jabber today, but there's always room for more. So what have you got this week, Lorraine? Back in time. Back in bedtime. Oh, back in bedtime, like that. Back in bedtime for me. See what I did there. I'm going back to my bedtime routine in my early teen years Mm -hmm. where I would take my little red radio to bed. Forecasting where I was going with my audio career. (laughs) And I would listen to it under the pillow. It's very cold in the Cornish bungalow I grew up in because my mum liked to turn on heaters in the room you were in and turn them yes. off when you came out of them. Yes, yes, um, so Exactly, get into bed and I would have a hot water bottle. Mm-hmm. The parent units didn't believe in uh, furry hot water bottle covers, so oh. I'd have this boiling hot oh the rubber and the smell of the rubber yes (laughs) listening to radio caroline or whatever it was quietly and then i was thinking about general bedtime routines because they go through you change them as you go through the years and then the kind of the through the baby years and now i have a horrible feeling i've got an older woman's bedtime routine which is (laughs) i have like to put moisturizer on my hands before i go to bed it's very civilized of course you do <laughs> moisturizer a bit of retinol a bit of that yes spray yes, pillow on your spray lavender, lavender pillow. spray i know and now i think yeah. would be would is j-lo doing this before she gets in bed with ben affleck because i don't think you know she's the same oh. age as me i don't think j-lo's doing that do you think i think she's got someone spraying her lavender on her pillow doing a turn down service probably not a chocolate on the pillow maybe some rose petals i, I don't know that. where have you gone think? back in time well mine's not nearly as glamorous obviously as j-lo's lavender spraying rose petals on the pillow i've gone back to actually do you know why because i had another monday morning tip i had a nice bowl of porridge this morning one <laughs> of the tips today aren't you you're like a walking wellness i website. know porridge and i did i had made some lovely poached pears and vanilla and lemon so that was very nice to have with the, the porridge okay not just gruelly old porridge but it got me thinking about ready break and um oh, i love ready do you break. remember when we were kids and ready break and the red those ready break adverts central yeah, heating for kids glow. the glow i mean bit bit of a nuclear glow <laughs> that these kids would go out to school after they'd had 
their bowl of ready brack in Wasn't the morning. Wasn't it debunked as being full of sugar? I can't remember. Well, is it another one of those things we're not allowed to eat? Like, I think like maybe it is. But if you look, I did look up the ingredients now because I was like, what is the difference between ready brack and porridge? And it's actually that it's just, it is oats, but they're really, really, really finely milled so that they absorb the milk and go mushy a lot quicker. And they have lots of sort of vitamins and things in them. And they don't seem to have sugar now, but they could well have done back in the day. But the thing about it is that obviously we have the sugar bowl, as I've mentioned. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would be spooning the sugar in to the mushy, milky, ready breck. Highly disappointed that we didn't all glow in the way that those children on the TV did. But never mind. Yes. I think we're going in different ways now, don't you think? Did you um, do Weetabix? No, I didn't. That was always a bit stodgy for me. Well, Weetabix, we, obviously we did a lot of it for the kids when they were little. As well, oh, yes. yes it up there first yeah. thing. But with Weetabix, every time you get it anywhere, it's like it's like concrete, oh, isn't it? You, you can't, can't get it off. You could stick a spoon to the table with it. I mean, you could stick something really heavy yes. and hold it upside down above your head and it would be stuck with the Weetabix. Yes. I think Ready Break might have been of a similar stickiness. A consistency, yes, yes, exactly. It could well, could do some damage with that. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Postcards from Midlife. New episodes are available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so that they count on our listener numbers. So please do tell your friends, or like Shirley did, tell politicians, people in power, people everywhere about us, as we want as many women as possible to join in the midlife conversation, which is what the private Facebook group is all about. So if you're not a member yet, do come on over and join in the chat because we're coming to the end of this season of the podcast and would love to stay in touch before the next season begins early in 2022. And you can use the Facebook group to stay in touch and you can post any feedback there on the topics that we discuss, as well as suggestions for things you would like us to talk about on future podcasts or celebrities and experts you'd love to hear interviewed. Or you can email us directly at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or pop a message on Instagram too. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.